Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Samir Keynes, the Trade and Globalization Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bown, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics. This week, we are going to talk about 3D printing. And our question is, what impact will 3D printing have on trade? We'll talk about the theory and then a brand new paper that offers up some evidence. We're going to hear from two fantastic economists at the World Bank, Caroline Freund and Michele Ruta. Also, stay tuned for a special merch announcement at the very end. First, let us talk about the theory, or or really just what people are worried about with all of this. So the way some people think about trade is that it is a kind of ladder for development. Now, you might be a really poor country and you're over here and you're looking at all of those developed industries over there and you really want those developed industries. But but developing one all on your own seems impossible. With trade and global value chains, you don't need to develop the whole industry on your own. You don't need to recreate the whole thing. What you can do is you can get good at one bit of the supply chain. Maybe you can make some kind of widget component or or something. And then you can slot in to that supply chain. And then hopefully by interacting with all of these companies in this complicated supply chain, you'll, you'll learn from them, you'll get new technology. And essentially through that, you will industrialize and you will develop. That all sounds good, and that's the path that some countries seem to follow, most obviously China, but there are a number of other countries in Asia that have gone down that route as well. But nowadays, people are worried. And the worry here is that with these new inventions and the new technology, that the export-led growth model, that path is being shut down. It's being shut down because often these countries have worked their way into supply chains by saying, hey, look over here, come to us, we've got a ton of cheap workers. But what if, because of all this technological change, companies find that actually robots are cheaper or maybe the robots are more reliable? What if it just becomes more efficient to automate away all of those random widget-making jobs that, that before people were using as a stepping stone for development? And, and what if these companies start to be able to use 3D printing to make the widgets? What if they don't need to trade at all? Footwear used to be a great industry for countries with lots of relatively low-skilled people they would use that as a, as a first step on the ladder for economic development. It was part of what worked for countries like Japan and China and other countries in Asia. But nowadays, there's Adidas, this big shoe company, which in the past few years has started to sell some 3D printed shoes, which are manufactured in countries like the United States and Germany. Now, I should say that those are still very high-end, expensive shoes. This isn't yet how these companies are, are making mass-produced shoes. But it goes beyond shoes. Companies are now 3D printing all sorts of stuff, like jewelry, or, or to straighten out your teeth, those plasticky orthodontics products, things like Invisalign. Even some car parts are, are, are now being 3D printed. While it may not be happening everywhere, when I looked into this, I discovered a lot more examples of things being 3D printed than I had really expected. Again, this is happening at the margins. It's not taken over everything yet. From manufacturers' perspectives, these machines are still quite expensive. 
But you know, there are a ton of advantages of 3D printing over, over more traditional ways of manufacturing. Essentially, you're, you're printing out stuff rather than cutting it out of, say, a sheet of metal. So, so there's much less waste. Products are also easier to customize. And, and instead of making something over there and lugging it all the way over here, you can just import a digital file and, and make it here. Using 3D printers also means you don't need to employ those those pesky people. Uh, sometimes they get sick, they want to take holiday, they need health care, they want higher wages, they go on strike. 3D printers create none of that hassle. Although I guess they do break down occasionally, maybe. All of these advantages mean that even though 3D printing might not be something that everyone is doing today, in the future it could be. It could really take over. So essentially, you have this technology that means that you can just trade digital files and make physical stuff close to where consumers are, maybe. And that's really worrying. If you're a poor country, perhaps you're used to importing loads of stuff and collecting tariff revenue on those imports. If 3D printing happens and takes over everything, then imported stuff isn't going to be a thing anymore. It's just going to be made domestically. And perhaps you lose out on that tariff revenue and there's a hole in your budget. And also, as we just mentioned, if 3D printing takes over, it means that those opportunities to slot into a, a foreign company's supply chain, those opportunities could go away. Underlying all of those fears is the idea that 3D printing will reduce trade. But there's another effect that could push in the opposite direction and increase trade. It could be that 3D printing means that companies use it to become massively more productive, that they're able to reduce their costs. They could make better and cheaper products and end up being able to sell way more of them to the rest of the world. That channel could end up increasing trade. The answer to this simple question, will 3D printing increase or reduce trade, is an empirical one. And, and we don't know the answer yet because 3D printing hasn't taken over the world yet. But there is an example where it has. And that is the subject of a new paper which looks at what happened when 3D printing took over the hearing aid industry. We brought in two of its authors to tell us about it. Hi, I'm Carolyn Freund. I'm the Global Director for Trade, Investment, and Competitiveness at the World Bank. Hi, I'm Mikado Ruta. Uh, I'm a lead economist in the Macroeconomics, Trade, and Investment Global Practice, also at the World Bank. We started off by asking Caroline what the inspiration was for this paper. So we were in a meeting discussing a large investment in infrastructure, um, roads and trains and things like that. And a very senior person raised the concern that we build all these investments and in the future, we don't actually need them because things will be 3D printed. So we might be building the wrong infrastructure for the future and we'll end up with all this stranded infrastructure. So I just didn't have a feeling that that was correct. Uh, and wondered what products might be 3D printed and whether we could look into it. So after the meeting, and McKellar was there as well, we discussed, and I went back to my office, and I uh, looked, looked up on the computer if there are any products, and according to UPS, hearing aids are 3D printed. 
So this seemed like a potential way of looking at what happened to trade in hearing aids. And my mom wears hearing aids, and hers are from Denmark. So that was the first clue that they're 3D printed and they're still traded. So this question really matters. Because if trade is about to collapse, then we should be spending public money on other things. We won't need roads or ports if everything is just going to be 3D printed locally. And so Caroline and Michele have this example of hearing aids, this this case study where 3D printing had taken over. And as Caroline said, they were still being traded. So that was the, the first hint that maybe 3D printing wasn't going to lead to the end of trade. Before we get into the paper, we should explain the basics of hearing aids. And the main thing to remember is that they're still pretty expensive. Even today, they can cost one, two, three thousand dollars or more. So really, it's rich people who tend to buy them. Here's Michele. So one interesting thing when we were looking at the data for the U.S. is that uh, around 26 percent of the people that uh, have uh, um, hearing problems use uh, hearing aids. I interpret that number as meaning that a lot of people might want to buy hearing aids if they could afford them, or if they were better value. Now, I'd be reluctant to pay $3,500 for for anything, but I'd be really reluctant if it wasn't going to fit in my ear properly, or or if everyone was going to be able to see that I was wearing a hearing aid. Now let's talk about the fun bit, which is the production side. Before 3D printing, making a hearing aid was really labor intensive. There were nine steps in the production process. You had to employ artisans, and you needed some really high-skilled workers to be able to put these things together. Here's Michele on where hearing aids were made. So hearing aids were mostly made in advanced countries, Denmark, Switzerland, Germany. And this is essentially for two reasons. The, The first one is that this is where consumers, most consumers were. Second is uh, has to do with the technology. Uh, you need uh, high-skill labor uh, in order to produce uh, uh, these products, and therefore this is mostly where you find high-skill laborers uh, in advanced economies close to universities. That was then a long, expensive process to to make a hearing aid that that could be kind of uncomfortable, and then. 3D printing happened. Companies started to sell these 3D printers, which which will basically take a digital file and then print out the hearing aid. I asked Caroline what one of these 3D printers was like. So they look kind of like an R2-D2. Some are a little bit bigger. And um, they are around $150,000. And the companies that produce them uh, seem to have many of these machines that all work at the same time. This was a big deal in the world of hearing aids. Remember, making a hearing aid used to take nine long steps. So now, instead of casting a mold, um, a computer could scan the inner ear and make kind of a blueprint, which could be sent to the manufacturer, who could then use that and figure out based on the shape for a particular ear where the electronics would go, and then that would get sent to a printer, which would print it out. Three steps. Three steps. In the old days, it was nine steps. Now, only three. Only three. 
And and the other massive advantage is that it became much easier to customize the hearing aids. You didn't need all these artisans sculpting them and, and carving little bits of hearing aid to make it fit into your ear. Michele said that this new technology was so good that it was adopted really quickly. So for a leading company, we had a very good example, and it was actually very fast uh, in terms of um, uh, the shift. It took uh, less than uh, 500 uh, days, which if you think is a complete shift in use of technology is extremely fast. We should say they didn't have data on the rest of the industry. So we don't know if this has been as fast as the 500 days, but it was a very rapid shift for the entire industry. So think of this as a shock that hits the industry, this new technology that essentially allows you to make hearing aids in this different way. And basically, Caroline and Michele and their co-author, Alan Mulabdik, they ask what happened to trade. They do it in a few different ways. Uh, First, they compare what happened with hearing aids with what happened with other similar products that were not going through this 3D printing revolution. Now, if trade with all of them increased in the same way, then perhaps the trends weren't anything to do with 3D printing. Here's Michele. And when we compare the uh, earring aids to um, high-tech products, uh, we saw that uh, right around the time of the adoption of 3D printing, international trade uh, uh, largely increased relative to these other products. So something had happened that boosted international trade. And then they used a couple of more sophisticated economic techniques to figure out what's going on. One technique is something called a a difference-in-difference estimation, and another is referred to as a synthetic control method. But basically what they do is they assume that 2008 was the year that this 3D printing revolution took over hearing aids. And they use that year cutoff to test whether trends in hearing aids diverged from trade in, in other similar products. And these econometric, these fancy economic techniques help them isolate in on hearing aid trade compared to other things with other similar important characteristics. It's more complicated than just eyeballing different trends in in the data for, for different products. What they're trying to do is to take account of the fact that other things might be changing at the same time as as 3D printing. They want to make sure that it isn't that that's changing the amount of trade that ended up happening. So then what uh, we wanted to do was to try to isolate the impact of uh, 3D printing. And uh, one way to, to do this uh, is to use uh, uh, different diff methods or synthetic control methods, uh, some uh, techniques uh, that allow you to control for factors such as shifts in demand uh, that can uh, set uh, this product aside from, uh, from others. So once we, we did that, uh, the result was that uh, still uh, trade for hearing aids increased by 58% after 2008, after uh, 3D printing was introduced in the industry. An increase of 58% is a lot. They also found that around the same time, there was a sharp fall in the price of hearing aids of around 25%. Now, at the same time, the number of hearing aid companies actually fell a bit. So it doesn't look like there's masses of new competition driving the price down. More likely, the technology allowed these companies to cut their costs. So, in this case at least, 
it looks like the adoption of, of 3D printing didn't mean that stuff just got printed locally instead of being traded. But that doesn't mean that those developing countries that are, that are worried out there can now sleep easy at night. In this example, it wasn't the case that everyone's exports increased. It was countries like Denmark and Switzerland. It was those countries who had already been making and exporting hearing aids. They continued to export them. Yeah, there were some new entrants. Middle-income countries like China and Mexico started to enter and, and export hearing aids as well. But the poorest countries did not share in this 3D printing export boom. Now, that is not to say that they didn't benefit. And perhaps all those developing country governments worrying about their tariff revenue disappearing should should be comforted by this. It looks like what happened is that imports of hearing aids into, into the poorer countries increased. That import increase was particularly high in developing countries. So, so people there essentially got access to better and cheaper hearing aids. That is good. People got access to better stuff. That is not to be sniffed at. But yeah, there are still these lingering questions on who on the production side is going to see the benefits of all of these technological changes and how easy it will be for, for poorer countries to just slot into supply chains and use that to develop. As always in an economic study, there are some questions about how generalizable these results actually are. Hearing aids could be a very special kind of product. And so maybe when 3D printing happens for other things, the effects could turn out to be quite different. Hearing aids might be special for one because they're very small and small products are easy to transport. So adding transport costs isn't going to add a lot. So maybe other products would, it wouldn't have this, 3D printing wouldn't have the same effect. On the other hand, most things that can be 3D printed are small. You wouldn't 3D print a car or something. But also to check how generalizable these results are, we had a paper from a consulting company which um, had estimated what other, what products are partially 3D printed. And there were 35 products that, you know, are some share is 3D printed. And we did the same kind of analysis using those products. One wouldn't expect the same results because it might only be 20%, it might be 50% that's 3D printed. But we did find a significant effect of this period when 3D printing was being implemented on those products as well. So when they look at other products that are also being partially 3D printed, trade does seem to increase at around the same time as the technology was was being introduced for them as well. So maybe this effect is more generalizable. Caroline did have a caveat, though. Among those products that are partially 3D printed, the heavier the product, the smaller the effect was. So it looks like the effect of 3D printing on trade depends on the size of the object being printed its boost is bigger for smaller objects. And that makes sense. Something small, you might be happier to to ship long distances. But for heavier things, if you can 3D print it, then you're going to try to put the printer where the customers are in order to save on those big transportation costs. I guess it's going to come down to the the trade-offs that you have. On the one hand, if you just 3D print everything in one mega hub and then and then send it out to the rest of the world, you might get benefits from economies of scale from having just one production center or, or very few production centers. On the other hand, obviously if you 
print the stuff where the consumers are, then in those cases, you'll save on the transport costs. In the case of 3D printing, it looks like it made more sense for the companies to print the things mostly in a, in a very few places. Transport costs were low, and so overall trade increased. It's clearly still very early days with this technology. We still need much, much more evidence. Uh, but, but I think the messages that we can take away from, from this one example are that there are legitimate fears about who is going to benefit from technological change and, and whether future paths to development will, will look the same as they did in the past. Whatever happens, the effects are going to vary across sectors, products, countries, skill levels. And those differences are going to be very, very important to pay attention to. And finally, I think for now, it is safe to assume that we are going to be trading stuff for a little while yet. And that is almost all for, for trade talks. So we have swag. Finally, swag that we can share with our listeners. Okay, so if you're going to give this announcement, you're going to need to give it much more efficiently because our listeners' time is precious. So you want to give away swag. How do they get the swag? They're going to have to go on Twitter, and they're going to have to tweet it at us, at trade underscore underscore talks. What do they tweet? They're going to have to tweet something that they love about trade talks, whether maybe it was their favorite episode, an interview that we did with, okay, with somebody that they enjoyed. Okay, I'm going to cut you off enjoyed. here. This sounds really, really cringe. Also, I think you'll note that last episode, we ran out of double underscore jokes. So there's an obvious thing that we want from listeners. So they can give us those, right? That's yes. a better idea. Okay, jokes would be good. But whatever they tweeted us, they need to include the hashtag... Is it, do you, do you say hashtag when I do this kind of Oh my thing? God, Chad, you're killing me. Just trade talks pod. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> but whatever they tweeted us, they need to include the hashtag trade talks pod. That's trade talks P O D. If you do that, you have the chance of winning some new and exciting trade talk swag. So just tweet random stuff at us and we'll give you stuff. That's the offering. So wait, hang on. Are we harvesting people's data? What are we getting out of this? I, I'm trying to remember what the algorithm was for how this works. So I think what happens is once they tweet at us, if they're a follower of Trade Talks, we will DM them and figure out a way how they can get us their contact information to be able to mail them their very fancy swag. No, that's not that's not what I asked. I asked what's in it for us. You and I? What's yeah. in it for us? Yeah. Data? No, we don't really want anybody's information. Are they going to give us free advertising by wearing the merch? Yeah, I think that's basically it. Okay. So their friends will be like, hey, what's that really cool merch you've got? Yeah. Trade Talks. That sounds cool. And then they'll listen to Trade Talks. I think that'll that'll be that's, what happens. That's yeah. the aim. Yeah. Okay. And remind it's me. Promotional. Do we promotional. make loads and loads of money off this? We don't make actually any money. Actually, we're spending money on this. We're giving away stuff that we, we've bought. Okay. This is, this is a no We're way. economists, right? We're not very good economists, though. Okay, great. That is all for Trade Talks. Thank you to Caroline Freund and Michele Ruta at the World Bank, as well as their heroic co-author, Alan Mulabdik, also at the World Bank. Thanks also to Colin Warren, our audio guy. Do follow us on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bown. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because, because two World, World Bank, Bank economists, economists is better, better than, one. than one. What's that? Because two, two World, World Bank, Bank economists, economists is better, better than, than one. one. Our cringiest two underscores ever. 
listeners, we need your help. 